We're going to do something a little bit different today. For those of you who are our regulars, you know that at this point of the service, we have the scripture reading, and then uh, and then we have the message. And uh, but I wanted to today. I wanted us to have a focus, a little bit of a focus, not as much on the man who stands up here, which is usually me, since I'm the pastor here, um, preaching the gospel, but to let your mind come to Christmas, not, you know, all the things that, all the, all the different accretions and layers of culture that we have placed upon Christmas, the trees and the gifts and the sails and uh, the, even good things like the family reunions, we're not, no, in no way, because I, I love all these things, in no way we want to knock uh, the, all these good things that we do for Christmas that are good customs of our culture here. But, you know, underneath, we want to get past all these layers today. And today, I wanted to have multiple readings from Scripture. And we're going to, I've asked uh, four different people uh, representing the youth group to read certain passage, and then I'll, I'll teach a little bit out of each passage. And so, I would like you especially to hear these passages Maybe many of you have, or if you, you believe you know this story, but do you? Do you know what the Bible actually teaches about this day? This day. So I selected four passages, and there's not actually that many chapters in the Bible that, that uh, describe Christmas, um, but four select passages from this day. And uh, so I'd like you to just put your focus on what does the Bible say about this day? So for Christmas from the scriptures, let me ask Sarah to come up and give us our first reading. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. We thank you for Joseph, his wisdom, his faith, his obedience, Lord God. That he would be the father to raise God, he who is God. And Lord, um, as we look at the beauty of these passages, may we see him, may we come to him, may we be invited and have the wisdom of the scriptures, far deeper than the wisdom of the world, to come and bow down before the Savior King, Jesus. In his name. Here's the first scene that I would like us to look at today. If you notice the scene, um, I know it sounds like such a familiar story. An angel comes to this guy, Joseph, so famous. And 
he's told that out of this young girl that he's going to marry, who is pregnant, is going to be one who's going to save his people from their sins. Now, I want you to just stop for just a moment. Get into the drama of this story. This is the beginning of the New Testament. There's a whole genealogical sequence that tells us how we get to the person of Jesus. And then this is the first story that is told in the New Testament. And do you understand what's going on here? There's already crisis. There's already a drama unfurling. There's already a scandal, actually. For here is a young man. He's probably about 16, maybe 17. He's got a young bride, maybe about 15 or 16. And she's pregnant. And, you know, this is the way they did it back then was you're betrothed. You know, you, you, there's it's a, an engagement. But the engagement is quite serious. And imagine, so you haven't been married yet. You haven't consummated the wedding yet. He knows he hasn't been with this girl. And she's starting to show what is going on here. And then says in very understated tones that he has decided that he's going to basically, you know, break this off very quietly. But back then, this was very, very serious business. If this came out, you know what could happen? Christmas could have ended right here, right at this moment. You know what could have happened? It would come out that this girl had broken her vows that she was going to become married to, to this young man, shamed her whole family, and she could have been stoned right down the spot. Hmm. This is what's going on. And we here kind of in, our, in, in the modern America, you know, we've heard this story so many times, but we don't realize right at the beginning there is a crisis. All this beautiful stuff could have just failed right here if this young man does not believe the word that God is telling him. That is the very first thing that's going on. So here he is. Place yourself, especially all of you who are men, young men and older men in this room. You're going to marry this girl. There is a pregnancy showing in her belly. And you're like, that's not my kid. <laughs> oh, I wonder whose kid that is. And as long as you have ever known, when it's not your kid, it's somebody else's kid. And now you're going to have to raise this child. You have to raise this child to be your son. And you're going to marry this girl. And as far as you've ever known, you know, you've had one word. And it came in a dream that this is God's child. Right? That the whole society has been waiting for someone very special to come along and to bring healing into the land and to bring hope to their people. You are a carpenter. You're just a, a manual laborer type of guy. And now you have a dream that is told that this girl that you thought was a good girl, but now you're not sure if she's a cheating girl. We have like harsher words, you know, for girls like that in our society. And every society has ever had harsh words for girls who behave in a certain kind of way. And now you have to marry a girl that you're not sure if she's a little whore, quite frankly, and you're going to raise a child that you're not sure if is like a neighbor's kid or somebody. This is what's going on. And now God, you're not sure, you have to believe this word that has been told to you, that you are to obey and honor this child and honor this girl and love this boy. 
Right? Can you imagine waking up from this dream? What the heck? <laughs> like, uh, and the struggle. The, the, the scriptures tell you nothing of a struggle. The scriptures don't tell you anything that, uh, there, there's like, there's a, a whole set, there's a manly pride that he has to swallow. Because you don't think the other people are going to notice. They're like, uh, you're, Joe, hey, Joe, your, your girl's kind of showing there. and You guys haven't been married. People are going to count the months, and they're going to know. And people know the old word. You know, the old word in English is called cuckolded, when you know, your wife or your girlfriend decides to go sleep with somebody else, right? And being cuckolded means you're just a total loser. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it boils down to, right? Your girl has made a total fool out of you, turned you into an idiot, and everybody in a small town, especially such as this, will know it. And so, for this guy to believe something, he must go into the face of the world that he knows and all the opinions of other people that he knows. And while they're looking at him and saying, you are an idiot, you are a loser, he, and can you think he's going to go around and say what he, he goes, oh, well, I had a dream, and an angel came to me and told me um, the kid is the Messiah, and he's going to save our people from their sins. You think he's going to go around and tell people that? Is that going to be his defense and his justification for marrying a girl that everybody else is thinking is a cheating whore? And so right here at the very beginning is a man that, you know, it's, it's not, he's not a rich man. He's not a powerful man. He's not a respected man. He's just a manual labor kind of guy. But he's got his pride. He's got to have his position in the world. And right here, he is placed, the screws is placed upon him by God himself. And you ask, will you believe me? And stand up in a world that's going to put all these things down and put you down. Will you stand up and believe? And he does. And he does. Yes, number scripture passage number two. Wants to know. Now after Jesus is born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After, the, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until they came to rest upon the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thank you. Uh, the scene shifts now. It's the Bible. We're in the second chapter of the New Testament, and now the whole tone changes. We go from a, a very lowly man who has to swallow his pride and do something quite astonishing to a scene in a temple court. And what we have here is, uh, we have, the old word is magi. They're the learned. They're the learned scholars from a far off land. And they come. We're talking rich people We're to come and make a journey. You know, I've, uh, you've seen the pictures that these guys are sitting on camels and some of them are on horses and they, they wear very rich attire. And I think that's actually quite true. Who knows how many there were, by the way. There are three gifts. Some of you may picture there are three guys. Not necessarily. Right? There's that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. And I'm thinking, maybe there were 10. <laughs> maybe there were 20. Maybe there was a whole train, a train of 10 or 20, and then they had a whole train of other people, of servants and others, to come and make this very long journey. And so you have a group of very esteemed and very well-educated people wearing very nice clothes coming into a temple court of a very powerful man. He's rich and he's wearing his nice clothes. And so imagine, this is a scene. You go from a very small guy in a very small, seemingly small drama. Now, all of a sudden, the scene shifts and we are talking about very powerful people speaking to each other. And it's interesting that the Bible talks about these guys as the Magi. We call them the wise men. And it's right. Those who are wise. And what do we have here in this text is a conflict of wisdom. That's what I want to place before you. It is a conflict of wisdom. On the one hand, you have some who are far away. By the way, they're not, they're not Jews. They're not of the chosen people. And God is now drawing. He has sent word out. And these guys have somehow heard this message. They have heard stories because this message that there is a Messiah, I mean, it's not, it's not like only the Jews knew this. Somehow they had heard that there is a word of God, that there is a people of this place. And they would travel, that these people, are they have the real promise from God. And you know, this, to this day, that is going out. That there's a word that comes from a very specific book and from a very specific people. And this word goes out into the world and it is drawing a certain set of people. Some are very lowly. Some are very high and mighty and very well educated. But those who are truly wise will hear this and they'll be drawn to the one who is truly God. That's what this passage is saying. And they will go far and they will spend their money and they'll expend their time and their energy. They won't say, well, I'm kind of busy this season. Here, I've got a lot of sales to do. Right? Oh, I've got a lot of business going on. You know, I've got to attend to my family and all the other things that I have to do. Instead, people will pick up and will seek to find out where is the hope of the world? Where is the hope of the world? Now, think about this. In this day and age, what's on the news all the time? You read your magazines or your New York Times or what's on the Internet. There's all kinds of concerns about things that are going on in the world. But, you know, we're such a cynical people today. 
if there's a corner of the world or some place, and especially if, if it's a corner of a place that's of a no-account place, because now the first thing is, where is this hope supposed to come from? Where is this great kind of new wisdom, this new injection into this broken world supposed to come from? And what if it was told you it's in like, I don't know, some no-account place in the middle of Kansas? The Savior of the world is going to come from like Iowa. What was the name of the town? Never heard of this town. Right? Where is it coming from? And it's, we have to travel to some far off land. It's not in New York or Los Angeles or London, or some great city full of very smart people and very powerful and well-educated folks who wear very nice clothes and drive very nice cars. Instead, it's in a podunk little place. Would you go there? Would you go there? Would you care? Would you believe that such a thing could come? And yet, right here, these guys, that's exactly what these wise men have done. They have traveled a very long distance. Today, I mean, you would get on a plane, you would bring your riches, and they had gone to a podunk little nowhere place. And so they go to this land that they probably is very foreign, and so they go, well, maybe the smart people of this land will know. The powerful people of this land will know. So they go to the king, and the king goes, huh? And he actually has heard this. He calls his scholars forward, and they say, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. He's like, oh, okay. And then... They go, okay, so why don't you go forward and let me know. But that's not his agenda at all, is it? And what you have is here's a clash. Some who are very wise and they have studied and they have heard of word. And now they set aside their money and their funds and their time and their energy to go find, is there a hope in this world? But most of us, you know, we, there's, we're so wise, aren't we? We're so smart, aren't we? And so there's a conventional wisdom. Maybe it trickles out of your university education. Maybe it trickles out from the things that you heard from your professors or what's in the New York Times or what you read in the Internet. And yet, you won't believe that that there's a real salvation, a real hope that can come into a very broken world that can change and transform the world. And what you have is here is very powerful, educated people. One set says, We'll go search this. And another set says, I don't think so. I don't care what the heck that Bible says. All I know is that that might be a threat to my power. And the first thing that we have to do is snuff it out. And isn't this how we treat religion? The stuff in the Bible. That's all nice and dandy and good. But if it gets in the way of my life, if it gets in the way of my agenda and my power and my riches and my comfort... Let's just snuff it out. We'll just kind of push it out. Many of us think this guy Herod was such an evil person. But, you know, if you're powerful and something threatens your power, maybe you would wield your power to get rid of it. But isn't this what we do in the, in the small little kingdoms of our own life? We function as our own little self-saviors and our self-Herods. And if someone will displace us as king, then our pride and all our comfort and our wisdom kicks in, and we'll say, let's kick this out. And so you come today. Today is not Bethlehem. It's, it's a small little church. Our church is maybe medium-sized church, okay? Medium-sized church. In Santa Clara, okay? And in, it's, it's not even the largest room in this church. It's like, the, it's like the number two worship room in this building. 
And you come in here, and will we come to meet the hope of the world? Oh, could that be what we're here to do? But which wisdom will you come in here with? Will you come here with the wisdom of the agenda of your life and how you're going to be ruler of your life? And will you have your pride like I'm going to run things? Or are you going to come in and will you be like Joseph and believe a word that comes from God? Even if that word pushes you, challenges you. Let's go to the next passage. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That's it. Seven verses. So understated. He came. All the world's kind of shaken up. Because the government says, go here, go here, go there. And isn't that what we do? You know, when the government does things, you know, we kind of have to move. And April 15th, we're all going to have to, like, do a lot of things that the government tells us to do that we may not exactly want to do, right? I know I don't like doing it. And, but we do. And we go someplace. And people are moving about. And some towns have more people than others. Apparently, this is a pretty full town. You guys ever been to a town where there's no hotel rooms left? It's not fun, Right? Uh, years ago, my, my, um, I took a trip across country, and we went into Reno. And I'm saying, Reno has like a, you know, thousands of, of uh, hotel and motel rooms. There's no way we won't be able to get a place. But apparently, there was some kind of a huge, I don't know, motorcycle convention or something that was going on. And my parents and I, we had to spend something like $200 to be in a filthy, crappy little place, right? And that was in Reno, And that is nothing compared to what this family had to do. So they walk into town. Can you imagine? You're a young man. He's not married to this girl, and they're looking at her going, yeah, we know what the heck happened there. And they go from place to place. Some of them, maybe, maybe at times there was a room, but they were rejected because Mary's pregnant. You ever think about that? Maybe they go and there is a room, but there's too many rooms. They're full in town, just like what happened to my parents and you know me years ago in Reno. Except, you know, they can't, but they're too poor. So all the room rates have been jacked up. And this young man with his fiancée, who nobody thinks is worth anything, he has to say, I, I guess we're not going to have a room. And it says here, it doesn't say that she wept. You mean I have to have my baby in, in a stable? Is that what I have to do? It doesn't show the, the, the anguish that must have been in his face, the shame that he must have felt. Right? To go from town to, to, to like house to house, 
hotel, motel, room after room after room, and people would slam the door in his face and look that they would give him and go, what a loser. Look at the girl like, what a whore. Go, get out of here. And it doesn't tell you this thing, but it just tells you this very understated. And then it says, the baby was born, and she wrapped him. Didn't say that it stank because poo-poo is like the horse pooed in his like stall and the cattle are lowing. It's a very beautiful song. The cattle are lowing, right? That sucks. <laughs> My baby is going to be born next to a bunch of cows, right? Is that going to be a great scene? And she laid him in a feeding trough, manger. It's a beautiful word at Christmas, but it's not a beautiful word. (laughs) I'm going to lay the baby in a feeding trough. And she laid him in swaddling clothes. This is your God. He who is highest above all things. The universe is like a ball in his hand. And he could be right here at the beginning. And he could be right here at the end. And I, told, I shared this in, in our congregation last week. This is what omnipresence means. When the God is eternal, he's omnipresent. He doesn't bop along in history. He goes, oh yeah, let me remember what happened yesterday. He doesn't have to remember what happened yesterday. Because he's omnipresent. He's present at yesterday. He's present now. He's like, I'm, just, I'm here, I'm present. Oh, let me, let me go over here. Oh, I'm present. And with you yesterday, I'll be with you. I don't have to be at any other place. He is the one who is above all things. There's nobody higher than Him. And how does He choose to come into the world? You realize He he must have predestined this? He planned this. He was saying, I'm going to plan this. I'm going to be born. We're going to take, I'm going to come into this girl. She's going to be wandering around like, oh. She's in labor, do you understand? As they go from room to room to room, she's in labor. She was like, ah! She's probably like, ah! And and then the people will get out of here. And God says, I will plan this. And the first place I will lie down after I'm born is in an animal's feeding trough. Amidst all the smells and the poo and the... That's it. This is the way... God will choose to come into this world. This is your God. Now I want you to see one more detail before I go to our, our final last passage here. You notice, the passage that was read before came from Matthew. This is from the Gospel of Luke. And in Matthew, did you notice, where did the wise men go? Did you guys catch that? In the passage, where did the wise men go? Did it say, and they came to the manger. They knelt before the manger at the stables and gave their gifts to the baby. Is that what it said? That's not what it said. It said that a star came over a house and they came to the house and then they knelt and they gave their gifts. So let me ask you. So did they go to the, did they go to the stables? The wise men did not go to the stable. So you guys know that uh, that scene? 
In our congregation, we had this this uh, Christmas party last week, and as part of the Christmas party, everybody had to make everybody had to make uh, this uh, this nativity scene. And without fail, every group, you know, of the camp at our party put these three. One of the groups had to even put these little guys on horses, and they all came into the scene, and they even had the gifts there. But you know what? That's actually not scriptural. From the Bible, they came to a house. They didn't come to a set of animals. They came later. Here, the baby is born. And at the beginning, there's no wise men. There's no rich people. There's no powerful people. There's just a bunch of animals. This is the way God came to the world. My last passage. Luke 2, 8 through 21. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So the baby's there. He's lying in a manger next to all the animals. And then... There's the first set of invited guests. Who are they? The first invited guests announced are shepherds. Not the wise men, not the magi, not people with gold or frankincense or myrrh, all expensive things. Not wearing fancy clothes. Not those who have studied. These guys are probably illiterate. They do a job where they take care of the dumbest of domesticated animals. That's their job. They probably spend days and days, if not weeks, out in the field. They smell. (laughs) No showers. It's probably appropriate that they come in. They probably smell just as bad as the animals. They're the ones who are first told. They're the first invited guests. It is a lowly people to come to a lowly king who is the highest king. What do you have in this passage? 
You have a lowly man who would say, not the wisdom of the world, but what God tells me, I'll believe it. And who is the first guest that get to come? Lowly people. You know, there's a drama that's unfurling throughout the world right now that I don't know if many of you know. And, you know, Christians all around the world are sending missionaries all around. And these missionaries preach the gospel and they go into, they go into a, a, a tribe or a, a country or an ethnicity and they tell people something that they've never heard before or have barely heard before, or just heard, isn't that, isn't that the white people's God, or the American people's God, or the Western people's God? What is this story? And this good news is being proclaimed all around the world, and then some of them come to believe, and they have to do exactly what Joseph did. They have to go against the grain and all the wisdom of their own culture. Sometimes, they have to believe in something and their lives may be at stake. I, I've met people who, uh, who are Hindus. They're Indians, they're Hindus. They became Christians. And they said, I became a Christian. My parents freaked out. They got really angry. They said, you need to renounce this, this white people's God stuff. This is the Western God. Can you believe in this nonsense stuff? We're Hindus. He said, no. And then he won't renounce. He goes to a church. They don't, he don't go, there's no great temple like that's already in their culture. He goes to a church. It's probably a little house church. There'll be five or six other people at that church. Some of those people are illiterate and poor. Maybe it will come from the higher caste in the society. Very well educated and very well to do and wearing nice clothes. He's going to go into a church with the lowest caste person before he wasn't supposed to touch this person. It would make him unclean and defile him. This person is now is an illiterate person. He has no occasion to sit with this person, but now he's going to come and sit in this room full of ten people in this church. And there is be just like this stable. The hope of the world will be met. And he'd have to do. What is he doing? He's walking, and he, like Joseph, is rejecting the rejection of his society to him. And he asked to take and says, all the wisdom that I have known that I thought I was going to be about, I'm willing to challenge it to go be and meet the lowly king who sits and walks is in the midst of a lowly people. That's what's going on all around the world. This little drama that's happening is going around all around the world. Christmas is happening. And you know, this guy who may convert from Hinduism to Christianity, to meet the lowly king savior, you know what might happen? He's going to get baptized. His family will disown him. And a few weeks later, his cousins might want to show up at the door to essentially murder him. That's pretty dramatic. In some other society, maybe not quite murder, but disowning. And a rejection by your society. This is what's going on. And there's a tension. There's a tension. Christmas is such a nice story here in America, is it not? I mean, it, 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 it inspires a, a fat man to give chil- you know, poor children gifts, and now we all want to do it, right? At least give each other gifts. It's such a nice story. But in the midst of this story, God says, you want to meet me? Do you want to meet me? Will you be like Herod? 
so full of the wisdom of the world and your own comforts and your own control of your life and, and you're going to have your riches and so forth. Or will you be as the truly wise? Will you be as the truly wise and seek a king? Now these guys weren't... It's interesting. The Bible says the first who get to come are the lowliest who get to come. Some of other people who have to study and so forth, you know, I'm a very well-educated guy. You know, I've got multiple degrees. And... Um, when I read this passage, you know who I envy? I envy people, the youth kid who was 12 years old, and his uh, youth pastor stood up one day in a room of 20 other kids and told them this story and said, This is God. He came to atone for your sins. And if you meet him, he'll be with you. He'll be with you. He's a lowly God even though he's the greatest God. There's no place he won't go with you. If he'll be born in a feeding trough, if he will walk with the stink of shepherds, there's no stink of your sin, of your filth, of your pride, of your brokenness, of your lostness, of your hopelessness, of your anger, of your bitterness, that he will not walk with all of your life. And there'll be... This kid will hear it. He's 12 years old. He's in junior high. What the heck does he know? Right? And he's going to hear that and go, that is from God. I'll give myself to Jesus. He doesn't need to read fancy books. He doesn't need to compare this book to fancy tomes, hundreds and hundreds of tomes written by guys with fancy degrees. Right? And he will be invited to come meet God. And he'll go, I'm coming. And he'll come. If you want to meet God, you must have that spirit. If you want to meet God, he is a lowly God. He is not afraid. He cares nothing for the wisdom of man. He does not care about the New York Times. He does not care who's the President of the United States. He does not care about these things. He will come and say, come meet me. If you are lowly enough in heart, come meet me. If you dare to come meet me, come meet me. And for those of us who are a little more prideful, I'm, I'm a very prideful guy. We have to go, the, we have to go a little bit more, the, the more roundabout route. We've got to study things and we've got to compare the wisdom of the scriptures, the wisdom of our culture, and of all the big books. And we might have to go a longer way, a longer route. But if you will have wisdom, if you have real wisdom, you'll have enough lowliness to come, just like these guys who came from a far-off land. They, by the way, they got to come number two. You have to get behind. The stinky guys... We're first in line. The smarter guys were number two, but they were still lowly enough in heart to come meet the lowly Savior, crucified King. And those who are at the end, those people who are too prideful, who are too full of your own agenda, you're too smart, you're too wise, 
In 2012, my grades, my clothes, my popularity, my future, my mortgage, my career, my promotion, how smart I am to raise my children, how my life is going to be fulfilled in, according to my wisdom and all the things I'm reading in all the books and all the smart people's books, the things I got at Barnes & Noble in the self-help section, the things that I read in the New York Times, right? the things that I found on the Internet tell me how wise I'm going to be and how I'm going to make my life. Let me just invite you today, just today. Today, I know you're going to probably forget tomorrow, and you'll forget on January 1st, and you're going to forget. But today, just one small step of repentance. Set your pride aside. Let your wisdom down. And be like Joseph. Be like shepherds. Or if you're a little more prideful, be like the wise men, right? Not like Herod, right? And come to Jesus. This is your God. This is the Savior. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, what a prideful man am I. I've read certainly hundreds of books, thousands of articles. But I gladly stand in line with six-year-olds who say, I accept Jesus into my heart. With illiterate people who are celebrating today, who read Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and say, the baby in the feeding trough, there is my God. He is my Savior. And today, may we all bow down as truly wise and lay our gifts, lay our shame, lay our sins, and lay our righteousness and all our worthiness and lay our pride in all the things that make us think that we're so smart about how we live our life. Lay it down before the Savior baby King, you, Jesus. Lord, walk with us and take us through every stinky, smelly valley that we go through. And if you would be like this, how could we doubt that through every death and every hell, and every bitterness and every disappointment and every failure on our part, you would not be with us and take us home. Bless all those here. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care, as we sing. Bless us, Lord. And may we come to you. In Jesus' name.